Welcome to If This Bar Could Talk, a podcast about bartenders and the stories they have to tell, as well as the storied history of cocktails, spirits, and bars. I'm Blair Beavers, and here's your host, Leanne Sims. Welcome listeners. Today, Blair and I are in Buckeye Lake, Ohio at the Here and After Cocktail Tavern, visiting with owner Ben Long. Ben, thanks for being on our podcast. Of course. So you could have opened a cocktail bar anywhere, but you chose Buckeye Lake, Ohio. Why? Well, uh, one, I used to live here, grew up here before drinking age. I uh, graduated from Granville High School. Before that, I lived in Zanesville. Um, So I then moved away for 10 years and uh, put in a good faith effort to try and open bars in uh, DC and before that, New York. Um, but then COVID happened mm-hmm. and I thought, what a, what a great time to move back home, uh, where things were a little more calm yeah. and try and open a business here. So Buckeye Lake was such a cool place when I was a kid. It was the place everybody went to go party and mm-hmm. see bands and get out on the lake and do fun stuff. So I, I thought it was a perfect place for a cocktail bar. Well, welcome home. And I read that you cut your teeth at some pretty famous places in Washington, D.C. and New York City. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So uh, the cocktail thing starts in 2009-ish at a bar called Hummingbird to Mars. That was a bar that would pop up as a speakeasy in Bourbon in Adams Morgan. And they were doing block ice and they were really starting to get into classic old school cocktail thing um it was just like a couple nights a week that they would do it Uh, it was like sunday mondays and you had to figure out where they were and i thought that was pretty neat um but i I, to be honest i didn't like the uh the arrogance of the mixology movement at the time so i was while i was really attracted to cocktails i I was kind of dis disenchanted by the uh Mm -hmm. the general attitudes of the of the mixologist movement um, was a little bit self-centered and uh, I think it drew a few too many narcissists Mm -hmm. for my liking but hospitality was lost a bit it was it left out the guests Uh, the cocktails were taking too long to make and you know it was cool though Uh, so no complaints and those guys of course were some of my friends and so they they eased me into something that at Hummingbird to Mars that was uh, they were not that type they were the guys I was working with in regular restaurants. And so then I moved to New York shortly thereafter. And it took a while, but I got an email from a guy named Masha. Took double P Petrosky uh, at Gmail. And I was like, I had been uh, through other connections and networking, had, had reached out to Sasha for a job. And it was Sasha, of course, is famous for knowing, owning Milk and Honey and opening that in 2000. New Year's Eve 1999 actually Uh, but he also had other bars and so I was trying to get connected with him to kind of get into the cocktail thing in New York and it didn't go well for a while and then all of a sudden I got this email and he said show up at the John Dory Oyster Bar in New York City so I pop in I'm dressed in New York you don't go to interviews at restaurants in suits like certainly not standard suits you just stick out like sore thumb it makes you look like an idiot so of course I did that showing up to a, like an interview for like a regular job. Uh, so I immediately realized that at an April Bloomfield restaurant in Midtown, New York, you're going to be the, you're, you're the square, right? Mm-hmm. So I take off my tie and I take off my jacket and I try and look normal. And all these 
bartenders around me are in cutoff ACDC shirts. Uh, they're all 10 years younger than me. Now they would be 20 years younger than me. And they're all uh, hipster to the max. I mean, we're talking long hair, beards, tattoos everywhere, hats, all wearing different hats. All the hats, right? So funny thing is, is Petrosky walks in late, 20 minutes late, and he's wearing a suit. Mm. Only Petrosky's wearing a suit straight out of the jazz age. It's a zoot suit, basically. He's got... <laughs> A long, like, camel hair coat, and he's got suspenders, and he's got a fedora, and he's got uh, the waistline up to his belly button. Yeah. And uh, so he doesn't stick out at all. He's wearing a suit, (laughs) just like I was, but he fits right in with these hipsters. And he turns around, and he he hangs his coat on, like, a lamp post. Uh, Like a, you know, something on the wall. It was shaped like a lamp. And I was like, that's going to start a fire. <laughs> and he turns around and what he said next kind of ch- changed my idea of that whole uh, mixology is kind of full of narcissist thing kind of died right there because he turned around and said, you guys aren't mixologists. I don't know what that means. We don't study mixing here. We take care of guests, which is another way of saying you tend bar. We also aren't bar sommeliers. We don't know what the earth tastes like in Southern Rome. Sommelier's job is infinitely harder uh, than what we're going to be doing. He said, you're not a bar chef either. Chefs have to know what fire does to food, how it changes food chemically. That is much harder than what we do. So let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to measure things accurately, and we're going to get them cold. And in case you need a little more detail, getting things cold means you have to have some understanding of ice and how ice works. But that's pretty much it kind of bummed and he goes well in case you think this is going to be easy it's going to take you six months to figure that out training with me and I was like okay you know that that changed everything uh and so the first training happened a few days later and he was uh, paying his bills or looking through his mail from his other bars while we were pouring in graduated cylinders we had to nail exactly for two ounce pours 57 to 62 multiple times in a row and then he would do one ounce and then he'd do one and a half Now, while we're doing that with jiggers, he's free pouring blind into a tin by just feeling. And he would say one ounce to himself, pour exactly 30 mils blind, pour it into the graduated cylinder and measure it. He was more accurate blind than I was with a jigger. Mm. And he did it like four times and he'd reward himself with the shot. It was all different amounts. And I came to find out later from him that like the, his he was an absolute must use a jigger to be good at this thing called cocktails. But the epitome when you become the master, the Zen master bartender would would be able to free pour. So a lot of his competitions, if he ever entered them, he would free pour the whole time. Uh, there's a famous video of him making a bee's knees where he was free pouring a bee's knees uh, for the gin and nails it for the video. That's interesting, because if I saw that, I'd be like, this cocktail is going to be unbalanced. It could be. Yeah, I mean, and most people who try that for sure are going to make yeah. an unbalanced cocktail. <laughs> but that was my introduction to cocktails, and from there I became his head bartender. But I didn't work at Milk and Honey. I worked at um, John Dory Oyster Bar, no longer with us, but it was an April Bloomfield, Ken Friedman uh, restaurant in 29th and Broadway, and Sasha was the consultant. And he kind of moved into that part of his career, and uh, I became his head bartender after a few years and got to train people that John Dory was notoriously hard to work at. So I got a kind of a revolving door of bartenders. And so I developed a training program to deal with that that was trying to be as efficient as possible at training bartenders up on how to do these 
how to do cocktails efficiently uh, with an order of operations and so forth. But uh, uh, then moved on to, uh, Sasha passed away in 2014, so I left New York to move back to DC to work on opening a bar. Mm. But I still had never managed any bars or been like a beverage director or anything. So I had a few positions I, I needed to take before I thought I was ready. And so I did a head bartender role at a place called Convivial, still a great restaurant. And, and then I moved to, as beverage director, to a place called uh, uh, the Shaw Bijou, which was uh, my friend's restaurant uh, who was in hair salons, but I had met him playing cards and we became good friends. And so uh, he hired Kwame Nwachi, uh, who was from Top Chef, to run this, but they had delays and getting open. And so I come in kind of late in the process and we had three glorious months before the owner shut the doors on that. Mm. And then uh, I took over a general manager job at a little cocktail place that I like to say was democratizing cocktails. Kind of in like the the gentrifying neighborhood of, of DC called Shaw uh, and a little bit north of Shaw, like where um, Howard University, just north of Howard University. And so the neighborhood was great. It was a lot of young urban professionals moving in and I took over the bar program. I would bartend in. I was the general manager. It was a pretty sweet gig. My buddy, again, owned the bar. He owned other bars and I knew him. So really was working on that. And then COVID hit. So that I had to lay off my staff like March 16th, like everyone else. And in DC, it didn't end for two years. So I moved after about one year of it um, and moved back to Ohio. So that's the long-winded story of my journey. Wow, that's very cool. So tell us about Here and After. Where'd you get that name? Here and After comes from the Savoy Cocktail Book, which does cocktail nerds. It's kind of like the Old Testament of uh, cocktails. There's a lot of stuff in there. Like I'm sure you read the Old Testament and go, really? I don't know if that's, yeah, I don't know about that. But there's a lot of stuff in the Savoy that's kind of similar. Um, but the, the structure and basis of everything cool kind of comes from the Savoy. And that was Harry Craddock's uh, 1932 book to basically make a compendium of cocktails. And in one of the first pages, he writes, here and after, learn all there is to be known about cocktails. And it's a picture of him shaking a drink with a, with a shaker. So I always thought that was a great name for a bar. But it sounds so much like here and after. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've always, uh, I'm, I'm tired of the, uh, that trend in restaurants and bars where it's like turtle and shell or mm. cat and goat or <laughs> goat yeah. or cheese yeah. or whatever. Yeah. That, that was getting a little bit too numerous. And so if I could change anything, it would be the, uh, it's the onomatopoeia of here <laughs> and after. It's just here and after and it's from that book. But uh, yeah. That's, that's where I get the name. How was your craft cocktail bar received in Buckeye Lake? There's a certain uh, ease with which I wanted to introduce cocktails here, and I call it democratizing cocktails. It, serving cocktails, like they're not such a big deal, you know, kind of getting away from the speakeasy thing, while serving it right next to wine and beer and good food without, it's kind of a, with an offhand excellence. And it's not meant to um, be, uh, hoity-toity is the word everybody uses, right? Or um, it, cocktails don't deserve that. They're a much simpler drink of the people mm -hmm. 
then we've made it in the last 20 years where you can only find one in a dark, dank, candlelit bar. Now, I love those dark, dank, candlelit cave bars that are cut out of some basement of a restaurant or something. They, they're, they're amazing. Yeah. Milk and Honey was exactly that sort of place. But the problem is that it gave cocktails the, 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 no, the notoriety for being of the elite. Yeah, and unapproachable. Yeah. Unapproachable. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the exact opposite of what they were. I mean, cocktails were supposed to take your very poorly made booze that you had to turn your, you know, you're, you're poor, so you got to turn your grain into something that will not go bad. Mm -hmm. And so you turn that grain into hooch, and you're probably not very good at your hooch making. So you have this <laughs> toxic, horrible drink uh, that you have to then calm down with ingredients and the easiest way to do that was with sugar and water and then after that throw a little bitters in the morning into it and you have your first cocktail um, and it was very much a, a drink for the people mm -hmm. I imagine in New York 115 years after that people coming off the Empire State Building those guys eating lunch on an I-beam 6,000 feet in the air were landing at their corner bar with and drinking a Manhattan out of a coupe glass uh, and probably four of them after work. You know, it was the epitome of the working class's beverage of choice. Uh, what killed it was prohibition. So, in order to bring it back, we had to go through this era of hoity-toityness. I think. I think that that gave it a certain weight again, and I think we needed it. But I'm trying to move away from that. I think a lot of the milk and honey clan of bartenders that trained under Sasha have all done the same thing for the most part, uh, kind of made it less, more accessible. Mm -hmm. But by moving away from it, you're not suggesting uh, cutting corners and you know high volume places that use already pre-batched you know, sour mix or whatever. You're just saying that no, no. you're trying to make the level of it more approachable for everyone rather than Elitist. Exactly right. Okay. And I think cutting corners is 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 uh, is what exactly what we're not trying to do. That offhand excellence. It's like uh, it's what I love about cocktails. They're simple things. Or maybe three, four. The best are only four or five ingredients. But there's a to do it well is very hard. So we shouldn't mistake the simple for the easy. Right. They're two different meanings. Right. And right. so. Doing cocktails right, the way they were meant to be done, mm -hmm. the way they were done 100 years ago, takes time. And, and that's effort. an important distinction. Very important. That offhand excellence speaks to the uh, lack of arrogance required to serve cocktails or serve in an environment that comes across as hoity-toity or elitist. But it also, offhand excellence, the excellence implies you're not cutting corners. Mm -hmm. And I noticed, um, I looked at your, your menu you make it very simple to guide customers through how to order their cocktail. Talk about the construction of your cocktail menu. Yeah, so at Milk and Honey they did something called amakase bartending or something that other people would call like bespoke bartending. Amakase means trust in Japanese and would be used in a sushi bar most famously. And if you sat down in front of a great shokan and you said amakase, that implies you're allowing cost to not be of a matter to you and the sushi chef would then pull out his best stuff and so at milk and honey there was no menu you just have a conversation the problem is that that can take a while so if having a conversation with every guest 
is tough. So what I try to do is take that amakase and put it on paper. And so it flows from the classics on the left and then directly to the right will be a kind of slight twist that maybe won't offend the the general pop you know populace who doesn't drink cocktails. And then the next column would be like more the cocktail drinkers column. But they all are variations on whatever's in the left-hand column. So our Collins becomes a Ross Collins, becomes um, a Bicycle Thief, which is a Campari-laced uh, Collins, uh, that sort of thing. And then, you know, um, then we throw a few crowd favorites. Like, we've re realized that in this area, people love, like, an espresso martini. Mm -hmm. um, people love... Uh, I have a cocktail called a Oaxaca night that had a little traction here, so they were like, why don't you throw that? My staff... So why don't you throw that on the menu? So I did. That's selling pretty well these days. So that's where that cocktail concept came from, is that kind of being able to guide people to what they want. Mm -hmm. So you got a lot going on here. First, let's talk about the building itself. What did this used to be? So this used to be a VFW post-1388, and it had been around since the 70s. Uh, they did a little work and built another part of the building. I think it, we're in that part of the building, this half in like the late 90s and it closed in like 2018 so before COVID uh, around that time and the building left was left dormant for about two years so when we came in we took out the ceiling a smoke eater we took out the carpeted floors um, but for the most part left it as is um, we changed the bar shape up high a little bit but kept we kept the bar top it's exactly the same one that VFW had we kept the high footstool, which I think is essential for sitting in a bar. Mm -hmm. So you feel seated and comfortable and mm -hmm. your legs aren't pinched. Mm -hmm. um, we put in these windows because as you can imagine, VFW doesn't particularly want people right. peering in the windows. Right. So right. these are all new. Uh, we recovered the booths from the VFW and, and made them purple now. Um, and then we put in a couple chandeliers and lighting. And that was basically all we needed to transform the space. And then Very there's cool. multiple other areas in the building that I haven't finished yet. that are kind of next phases if we get there. Cool. You also have a wine shop. Yeah, we do. Here to four wine shop, just to play off here and after, um, is all about kind of, uh, if you see it at a grocery store, we probably won't have it, is basically the rule. Uh, I want to show off varietals that people know, but from places they don't mm -hmm. maybe know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A good example would be our Macedon Pinot Noir from Macedonia, Greece. Like most people didn't realize Pinot Noir was grown in Macedon or Macedonia. Um, so it, wines like that are what I specialize in. And it's because we're giving people a deal that way. Because those places are lesser known, they don't draw the high ticket price just for being known. So a lot of their, there's a lot of deals out there. Mm -hmm. Right now we're pretty heavy in Sicily. Mm -hmm. uh, grapes that nobody know, like Nero Moscolese and Nero Diavola. And, uh, yeah, those, those grapes are really cool and can be paired with food very, very easily and uh, are just great wines, but they're just such steals because most people don't know the grape, and Americans tend to hunt by the grape, mm -hmm. the varietal. Right. So right. that's, that's the, basically what we're working with. And it, we have a wine um, contact list that we use, and, and uh, we do wine tastings on the regular. I think we have three lined up in the next six weeks. Fun. That'll all be you know, the, the one closest is, is on the 10th and it's for Spain. Um, that wine contact list will probably grow into a wine club at some point where 
we kind of do that amakase bespoke mm -hmm. with the club ask people what they want this month and kind of craft a package of wine around them that they can pick up and take home with them. Very cool. So tell us about your food and your and your chef. So my chef is Justin Gottschalk. Uh, he opened 1922 on the square in Newark a while back. His most recent uh, job was at Harvest Pizza in Granville. I had interviewed Justin uh, when we first were looking for a chef um, and he just decided to take the harvest job and it was all good so uh, he's been on for about two months and I just reconnected with him and said hey you want to join us and he said absolutely now the food um, I kind of wanted to do southern food I love um, the idea of just like cocktails or a, a, a libation of the of the masses of the mm -hmm. middle class I think southern food is lower class and middle class food um, and so what that means is you got to put time and effort into it. You got to put love into it. And the ingredients aren't always out of the package delicious. Um, it's pretty easy to cook Wagyu beef, but it's a little harder to cook a short rib because um, it takes time to make it delicious. So I, that's, that's really what I wanted. And I thought Southern food fit that, but I'm not a chef. Uh, that was my basic idea. And, uh, Chef's been more than willing to keep keep that idea going because it, it works. It makes sense to him, too. So we, we focus on Southern fare like jambalaya, uh, gumbo. Uh, we have a natural hot chicken sandwich on right now that's delicious. And then we'll throw on specials every once in a while that aren't necessarily related to Southern food. Like you know, just a classic filet mignon with potatoes right now or scallops. Mm. They're not necessarily Southern per se, but delicious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sounds wonderful. And let's talk about your other things that you offer here. So you have live music. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. So every Wednesday we'll have live music, and then we also bring in bands for unique circumstances or events, or uh, maybe on the weekends, or the, uh, we had the Roxy Janes, who were a pretty popular band out here a few days ago on a Thursday. And uh, Get Shorty, uh, a gentleman who used to play with James Brown, played a couple shows out here last month. So we had, we had good little shows and we just put them right over in the wine shop that faces the restaurant and it works pretty well. Yeah. We, we tend to do like soloists for the most part, majority soloists or maybe duos. Is there a genre that you kind of stick to or is it, it just totally open to good we, artists? We, we definitely get gravitated to by the blues and jazz guys for sure. Okay. So most of the time you'll come in and you'll hear roughly what we're playing anyway which is jazz and blues on, on over the speakers so they'll they kind of seamlessly start playing their thing and that's usually what works well here nice so tell us about your cocktail classes and brunch that's a brilliant idea yeah so saturday brunches we started and uh they're great but people don't necessarily think about saturday brunch so i was like well what, let's start uh, bringing people in and 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 have fun teaching them stuff that they could do at home um and a lot of it's based on what I was doing uh, during the COVID time. I was I was had a YouTube channel called Ben the Bar Guy, and I was just making videos about how how can you make drinks at home. And so I, I started doing a cocktail class about amakase and how if your friends come over, you can kind of craft a cocktail for them, and they'll be like, "Wow, how'd you do that?" You know, and it's it's not a magic trick, but a couple you got to know a few things, and you can you can make cocktails for your friends that they'll think you're reading their mind. 
Um, then I, I cut a big block of ice in front of them and show them with a couple basic knives pretty much everyone has. You can cut a block of ice as neatly as you need uh, and I tell them how to do it. And then I get them behind the bar and they, they start shaking drinks. They come by and they say what they want to make and then I just kind of guide them through making a drink. Fun. Shaking the, with big ice, which most people haven't, haven't done. You know? uh -huh. So you also make craft ice. I do. We have our own little ice house that we, we craft. We make, uh, we cut our own ice. Um, we have a big machine called a polar temp that makes blocks of ice about the size of a table. Oh, wow. And then we cha chainsaw and bandsaw those up into the size that we need. But if anybody ever needed ice out there uh, for any reason, we could certainly cut them blocks or, or to whatever size their glasses are at home. So that was the, the idea was that our capacity to make ice is, is pretty pretty good. So we can we can get you your own ice cubes. And That's awesome. We even package them up and send them to go with some of our regulars who know about it. They will get packages of five in a vacuum bag and take them home and use them for their whiskeys or old fashions or whatever nice. they're drinking at home. Yeah, very cool. All right, so you mentioned it, but you gotta tell me about Ben the Bart Guy, your YouTube channel. Are you not doing that any longer? Or? I haven't done it in a while, only okay. because this uh, monster that is here and after is, is a time time uh, beast, but I, I will get back to it soon. The uh, Ben the Bar Guy was all about putting out there, really it started as a way of training my staff while they were in absentia from being laid off. And so I could make videos that they could watch and they could keep the training going without having to like be around each other. And then it kind of grew to, well, why don't I try and make this about a little better production and try and start a channel that actually has followers. And I wanted to get a little more nerdy than most bar, YouTube bar channels, bartender channels get. They, those, those channels are great. I, I'm, I subscribe to all of them, but the, I, I kind of wanted to get into like the ins and outs of what I've learned, like the nitty gritty, the stuff Sasha gave to me that was totally unique or, you know, I didn't, I didn't want it to be like, here's how this cocktail's made, although I do those videos too. But. Well, the one that I watched most recently was the uh, one on the old fashioned, which I appreciated. Because uh, like you, I too prefer simple syrup over having... Uh, Granular, yeah. granular sugar, yeah, in my, in my last, my last sip. So, um, so I, I think it's it's a really wonderful channel. So I highly recommend our listeners um, to take a look at that. Tell us about um, your website, where people can find you, all that. Yeah, hereandaftercocktailtavern.com is where uh, you can see our events or there's a merchandise uh, page. We also. Uh, there's just information about heretofore, here and after. Uh, we can also follow us on Facebook, probably where we're followed most. Again, here and after Cocktail Tavern on Facebook, and then by the same name at here and after Cocktail Tavern on Instagram. Those are our main ways to get a hold of us. Okay. You're always welcome to email us at the restaurant or call too. What are you drinking? I'm drinking a Negroni. A Negroni. Nice. Is that your favorite? It's one of. It's one of the. Uh, the story's fascinating. We were talking about elitists. Uh, well, the Count Negroni was an elitist, but at, a, at an era in history where elitists weren't so obnoxious, they would actually go do th hard things. So this Italian aristocrat goes to the American West, and he becomes a cowboy. And 
lives there for I think it was like 20 years. He comes back to his northern Italian town and he's like a rock star with stories that no one can believe. And so they name an Americano cocktail that they've taken out the soda and toughened up with some gin after this tough guy, Count Negroni, and called a Negroni. I, I just think that's such a cool story. Um, and it kind of sums up. Story. It kind of sums up what cocktails are, and that it's also one of the drinks that you know Americans are responsible for about ninety nine point nine percent of the cocktails out there, at least the cold ones. Mm. Uh, and this is one that the Italians snuck in on us, mm. so you don't see too many. One. Yeah, yeah, it's a great whole branch of cocktails. Really, we we have a whole variation list of just Negronis, from switching out the booze to adding sparkling wine and absinthe and mm. yeah it's a fun cocktail category to play with so when somebody comes in and they don't really know about much about cocktails how do you uh what what is your recommendation yeah i start with what they know so i go would you like something refreshing and citrus that's shaken on ice or would you like something a little more boozy and serious like a manhattan martini negroni old-fashioned and most people you can get them to make a choice there. And then you can kind of say, well, if they choose the citrus side, you can ask them, do you like mint? Do you like ginger? Do you like things to be a little longer, like a Collins style with soda? Uh, or you can ask them what they usually drink. And if they're in that, like, well, I usually do vodka sodas thing, and then the Collins or Ricky's going to play well. If they say, well, I usually drink Cosmos, well, now we're on to, like, a drier cocktail drinker who probably would enjoy a Daisy where the Cosmo lives and its family. Of drinks, so we might make them a sidecar or a margarita with mezcal or something, right? They're all part of the same family, or just a Chelsea sidecar with gin, maybe. Um, but then, if they want the stirred drinks, it's pretty easy. It's like well, Manhattan or old fashioned Negroni or Martini is like those are your choices. The Eminem knows I call them Martini, Manhattan, Negroni, old fashioned. So, it once you get someone into those categories, it's pretty easy to to get a new drinker something that they'll like. But they'll always, I, I, most of the time, will be surprised that you did so, which is, I think, a cool little added service. Um, yeah. That I think we do pretty well around here. That's wonderful. You've worked in both New York and DC. Do you have any great bar stories that you want to share? So uh, I begin working in the John Dory. And, uh, the first nights were open is it's just a, a lineup of, of Sasha's friends and also April's friends. And so there's a lot of pretty you know, people of note that are coming through the doors. And, but I don't, I don't know any of the bartenders, uh, kind of like, I don't know any of the bartenders in Ohio because I just hadn't lived in New York long. Mm-hmm. So my bartender, I have a guy, a gentleman sit down in front of me with an Australian accent and his mother, was with them and I was introducing myself. I have no idea who it is. And I, my buddy comes down and he goes, Hey, good luck with that guest in front of you. I said, why? He's like, Oh, he's just the best bartender in New York. That's Sam Ross. He's like, I'm glad he sat in front of you, bud. I said, Oh no. So now I'm nervous. I go back to get their drink order. And Sam goes, uh, my mother, I have a terrible Australian accent, but it's thick Australian accent. He says, my mom loves Gibson's and, uh, I'll take, I'll take it an east side Ricky I think is what you ordered and I said you got it or an east side and I said uh, sure no problem and now I know Sammy no problem you know and I'm, I'm making the drink and I make a Gimlet and an east side 
because I heard Gimlet and he said Gibson. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Big difference. So I don't have cocktail onions and I just messed it up. And uh, I, we did have a spring forward on the menu, which is a little muddled onion and, and it's a play off the Gibson. So I, I could have recommended that or something, but I think he didn't like that. So in any case, I come back to Sammy and I said, here's your Gimlet. Here's your, oh, no, mate. I said, Gibson, do you have any onions? And I said, no. And he goes, that's all right. Uh, I'll give my mom this one and I'll have a beer. And that was day one. He never came back and ordered a, a cocktail from me ever again. Oh, right. Wow. And it was, a, it was a point of like, I was like, come on. And my buddy would make fun of me all the time. Hey, Sam, order a cocktail from me. Cause he knew the story he thought was hilarious. So <laughs> a little bit of humbling. Yeah. So flash forward. Now I've been at the John Dory for three, four years and I'm working a lunch and I actually had been, I was covering a shift. I wasn't even supposed to work lunches anymore, but I covered a shift and Sammy, Sasha and Mickey all walk in to talk some business. And the server comes over from their lunch table and says, Sam, uh, Sammy wants an Americano. And I was like, Oh, an Americano. Yes. He back to ordering cocktail, a simple cocktail. You know, but a cocktail nonetheless. So I make the best Americano I've ever made, the perfect pour of Campari and sweet vermouth and soda and the orange was perfect and send it out. And I can hear him at the table say to the server, No, mate, I wanted Americano coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so I blew it again. Uh, I didn't even get him what he was asking for and the server was like, Oh, our bad, you know, and I just I happily drank the americano and, and uh i think that it had, had some of my fault yeah it had some tears in it i think but uh uh then i came with my staff to uh to a, a, a bachelor party to milk and honey a couple years later and they handed me a tin to shake a daiquiri up for my bachelor and i thought i nailed it it was mickey and sammy I'm like why, why don't you shake this one ben and i'm like yeah outstanding so i'm shaking this daiquiri and I strain it out and it's got the nice froth on top and even my bachelor buddy Jed is like yeah you nailed that right on and Mickey turns to me and goes ah, he's, a, he's an Irish guy he's like that's the worst drink we'll make all night <laughs> slides it over to Jed so they used to they used to pull my pull pull uh, he used to tease me a lot but yeah so that that was it was humbling living in New York anytime you thought you got good at the job uh, someone would set you straight and uh sammy watching sammy barton is definitely one of those guys that he'll he will humble you just by watching him do his work uh, he's pretty nice good. i was just telling this story the other day uh bourdain his restaurant lay hall where he got his start uh, as a chef was right down the street from the john dory oyster bar a couple blocks so he he would come in for lunch and uh i didn't really realize like new york like there's a famous person Every day, it's kind of crazy, actually. But you just act normal. Uh, and you get used to it after a while. You actually act normal because it's not that big a deal anymore. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. Bourdain walks in, and he has some gravitas. You know, like, yeah. he's, he's like the guy. So he walks in, he's standing above me. And I said, oh, hey, chef, is there anything I can get you? And he was like, I don't know yet. And then my hostess whisked him away to his table, uh, to which I absolutely excoriated her when she came back. I'm like, don't ever take Bourdain from me. <laughs> like, let me give him a cocktail first. She was like, oh, I'm sorry. In any case, uh, jokes aside, at the end of his meal, he walked past one of my managers eating something called a Carta de Musica, uh, which is a crispy flatbread with shaved and cured gray mullet roe called Batarga on it. And uh, it's a brilliant little cracker sandwich thing. And it goes amazing with sherry or cocktail, especially martinis. And uh, he goes, hey, 
what is that? And she explains it to him, and he says, well, can I have a bite? In classic Bourdain fashion, I mean, just unabashed Bourdain. And she goes, absolutely, chef, here, have as much as you want. He takes a bite and says, thank you very much, and just walks off. That's it. <laughs> Except that about 20 minutes later, he posts on young media, social media at that point, but nevertheless, he still had millions of followers, and he says, the best sandwich in New York is at the John Dory Oyster Bar, the car to the music And... You have to understand that Batarga is like, they come in little tins mm -hmm. and it's packed and it's dense. And April was doing this thing where she's shaving this on like Parmesan, which is insane. It was losing money. Like it, there's no way she was making money on this dish, but she was like, it's awesome. We're going to serve it. Now she's calling her distributor and they're like, well, we can get you a couple tins. She's like, no, you don't understand. We're going to sell two million of these in the next month. <laughs> we need as much as you can get, like Bourdain. And they were like, whoa, okay. So we had to like hunt Batarga down. And oh, uh, wow. it was it was pretty cool to, to see that happen. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah so that's pretty amazing. Seeing, seeing people like that who are stalwarts in the industry is always fun. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Well, Ben Long, thank you so much for being our yeah. guest today. We really appreciate it. I appreciate you guys for coming in. Yeah, cheers. 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 Listeners, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Seabus Craft Cocktail Tour. Visit our website at ColumbusCraftCocktailTour.com for cocktail tour dates, women and whiskey tastings, special events, merchandise, and if you're looking for a gift for that special person in your life, get them a gift card to our cocktail tour. Thank you to the biographer for our original music. And please remember to drink responsibly and be cocktail curious. Cheers. This has been a Last Call Productions production.